Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plate and pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. It's actually quite amazing how quickly the news business has changed in the last few years, thanks to the internet, of course. Uh, Lots of people have certainly talked about how there are differences in how news is produced, distributed, and monetized, of course. But I wanted to take a closer look at actually how news is found. Uh, Going back a few decades, of course, the common path to finding news was pretty straightforward. People would subscribe to their local newspaper. If people were really avid news readers, they might also get a more broadly focused newspaper, such as the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, and they might subscribe to one or more weekly news magazines like Time or Newsweek or maybe The Economist if they were more worldly. And of course, every evening, the three big big, uh, networks had evening news with 30 minutes of the big stories packed into bite-sized chunks. This system first started to crumble, I think, with the advent of cable news, and 24-hour cable news in particular, but it's the internet that really drove things forward. And even on the internet, there are lots of questions about how people get their news these days. I think in the early days of the internet, people would just bookmark their favorite sites, and then they would need to remember to go back to them, which didn't always happen. Eventually, you had RSS came along and made that easier for those who were sophisticated enough to figure out how to use an RSS reader, whether using a dedicated reader or just little widgets on things like Google and Yahoo. RSS still exists, and there are still a few diehards uh, still using it, but standalone RSS readers are basically dead, and they basically died when Google killed off its reader product, and the widgets also died off when Google killed off iGoogle. Into that void, I think, came social media, with Facebook in particular, and Twitter certainly being there as well, becoming the top destinations from which plenty of people now get their news these days. I think the big difference here, though, is that in many cases with social media, that means it's the people that you follow or are friends with who are reposting stories from various news sources, rather than people deliberately seeking out certain publications for their news. And then there are questions about, especially with Facebook, about the kind of filters that the companies put in place in terms of which news shows up where. The vast majority of news organizations, I think, were not prepared for any of this. And the few that have done well have basically done well by gaming Facebook and playing tricks with how Facebook works. A few years back, someone quipped that people no longer find news, but rather they expect that the relevant news will find them. In many ways, this is a pretty profound shift. It's certainly one that has impacted us at TechDirt, but it's also an interesting overall change in how news is consumed. So I wanted to discuss that on today's podcast with our usual co-hosts, Dennis Yang and Hirsch Reddy. And let's start with the obvious big question of how do you guys actually find your news or rather, how does the news find you? So... I don't know who wants to go first, but well, I'm going to say let's start with Hirsch because 
Hirsch, you seem like the more avid news consumer. Um, I get my news from a combination of places. I would say probably top of my list, um, a way of getting news is, is news is probably pretty old-fashioned, which is just that I have a bookmark list of a couple of news sites, and I, I, I habitually click through them when I wake up in the morning. That's really? very, that's very old-fashioned. That's, that's very old. super old-fashioned. Yeah, I don't know is. anyone who still yeah. actually uses yeah. uh, uh, so Like that's bookmarks more. on your browser? Mm-hmm. And then... Wow. Uh, yeah, it's really old-fashioned. Who actually uh, uses bookmarks anymore? Hirsch. Hirsch yeah. does. <laughs> I do. And so then when, when you, I've been doing that for like 10 years. Okay, though, so, now, so now I'm just curious. When, when you switch computers, do you, mm-hmm. do you, how do you, the, I mean, well, I know you can sync up some of them. Yeah, nowadays, Chrome but. just brings a, a bookmarks everywhere ah, I log okay. in my profile. So that's been very nice. But uh, besides that, I also um, uh, check Reddit. Yep. You know, particular yep. subreddits and then hacker news so really it's basically oh and i should say facebook is probably a source of news as well although indirectly because i'm watching my feed and then i look at what different friends have commented on etc and so right so um, it's so it's it's mostly aggregators right so mm-hmm. so reddit and yeah. hacker news and and facebook dennis yep. yeah i mean i i probably get most of my news from i think facebook and reddit i also use read hacker news and um, I have actually started using Dig again, <laughs> the, yeah. the new the new incarnation the, of Dig. The new, yeah, the latest yeah. version of Dig. Um, but other, than, but but honestly, with like between Facebook and Reddit and Hacker News and like news does tend to to find me. And once in a while, I've been I've I've been getting back onto Twitter lately as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll, I'll 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 find news, or rather, news finds its way to me. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and and just so to to finish up, out of the three of us, I I almost exclusively rely on Twitter for news. Um, I get a little bit from Facebook, um, uh, a little bit from Reddit, but yeah. I don't, not even that often. Almost all of my news consumption or news finding comes through Twitter, uh, and you know, basically just the people and organizations that I follow through Twitter, and honestly, more people than organizations. I mean, I, I follow certain news sites but um i actually usually don't read those i, I kind of i have different lists on twitter and i have a list of sort of key people that i follow and i kind of trust yeah. them to aggregate the news that will be interesting to me and it seems to work so uh, it's so no, no more rss for you i haven't used rss in years <laughs> what was what was so bad with rss that like people started going to these other ways of getting things like i, I don't i don't think anything was bad about it i think it was it yeah. was it was a little bit tricky for people to set up like an rss reader yeah and i think the filters were not there so you know i think the problem was you would subscribe to a site's rss and then all of a sudden you would have like you know thousands and thousands of news stories in your rss reader right um you know just because you love the new york times or you know, mm. the, if you subscribe to the primary sources a lot of times, I think it would o- it would be overwhelming. Yeah, it's, oh. it's just too much, right? It's probably because they just essentially, people, the RSS readers themselves did not do any curation. No. And the yeah. websites probably just like were a fire hose of stories coming out of their RSS feeds. Yeah. So you were caught probably in this, yeah. I mean, well, there, there's the answer. I mean, that's why you would prefer something like a, Maybe right, Facebook feed. I mean, basic, basically, basically, what what all of us describe, what all of us are using, are different filtering systems, right? The problem with yeah. RSS was that it was always a fire hose. Whatever you subscribe to, you were getting every single thing in that fire hose. Now, you know, different different sites offer different, you know, filtered RSS feeds, but still, 
you know, that was that was pretty limiting. You know, we're, we're all relying on different filters, whether it's like the algorithmic filter of a Facebook or sort of the crowd filter of a Reddit um, or, you know, just sort of the select who you follow filter of a Twitter. Um, you know, we're all sort of relying on filters. And that's interesting. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, th I think it's something that like Facebook is now struggling with as they're sort of trying to figure out, like, there's been all this controversy over, you know, um, how Facebook, they had like an editorial staff who would pick yeah. like trending stories and stuff. And then they fired all of them. They said they had algorithms to do it. And of course, now they're kind of like constantly plagued by promoting fake stories on Facebook. Um, but I, but I think, so I think that's really interesting. Not, not that like the three of us are a representative sample. Yeah. By, I mean, we, any means? We're, we're all about the same age. I mean, I think it'd be interesting. It's interesting to maybe see how the younger generations are finding news. Um, apparently yeah. snap, like Snapchat is, Snapchat is big, except that, that huge, Snapchat, right? Snapchat recently announced that basically like they had partnered Snapchat for news. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. How, how do you get news on Snapchat? Um, oh, so you almost keep swiping right and you get to the discover <laughs> view. <laughs> yeah. Um, and essentially it's, it, it almost feels like kind of old school, you know, like it's, it's more like broadcast broadcast. Right? Yeah. Right? Um, in that they're like only the large brands can afford to be in the, dis the Snapchat discover feed, which, cause I think it's really expensive to be in there. Well, but here's, um, here's the thing. So Snapchat recently an announced that they're basically downgrading that, right? So really? they actually haven't been as happy with kind of how the discover platform mm -hmm. is, is working. And so they're doing a few things. One was before, you know, part of the appeal for the big publications was that Snapchat was then like sharing advertising right. revenue with them. Right. But that's going away. So I think like Snapchat is no longer going to be sharing advertising revenue and they're going to sort of like Interesting. downgrade that Discover platform. And so, you know, you have this situation again where like the same sort of Faustian bargain that, that mm -hmm. lots of sites have made with like Facebook, yeah. um, you know, they made with Snapchat. So you jump on any platform and you kind of hope that they're going to give you revenue that will solve, you know, the fact that <laughs> your own ad revenue has basically disappeared. Yeah. Um, but then you have to trust those platforms to actually, you know, continue to support you and not, you know, toss you off a moving train. Um, and, you know, I think that's a big risk for, for lots of publications to take. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, lots of, lots of young people basically get all their news from Snapchat these days. Yeah. Um, and the, and those channels are, you know, like Buzzfeed, M MTV, like, Kind of your your standard. It's almost yeah. it looks basically like your old cable broadcast model. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but, I mean, but, but, Vice, so Vice is really big on Snapchat. It, is it is it just a continuous stream of video that's being broadcast? Uh, you can read stories too there. So basically, yep. you swipe through. There's some video. There's some stories you can actually read. I mean, it's definitely tuned for the platform. Um, so how did those channels monetize? And there's all sorts kind of advertising built into those streams. Yeah. Or? Yeah. Huh. Exactly. Wow. I had no idea. I'm like so <laughs> so old and out of touch. Like, I no maybe I need to sign up for a Snapchat account or something. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, many months ago, actually, I guess about a year ago now, we we had this discussion where on this very podcast, Dennis, you taught me how to use Snapchat. Yeah. And then I've basically been using it for the last year, and and I really like it. Once once I sort of you know got over that that uh, learning curve, the the initial learning curve. Um, I, I actually think it's a really cool platform. My my complaint with it is that nobody I know, you know, nobody in our sort of cohort uses it. A very, very, very small number of people in our cohort actually use it. So it's, you know, I don't get to communicate with as many people as I normally 
um, you know, would have liked to. I, I really wanted to try and get my parents onto Snapchat even. I think they would, they would actually really like it. Um, but, um, but, but what would they use, like, in terms of just, like, watching the news, you mean, or actually no, using no, no. it? No, for, for, for the communication, for the more typical, right? So, you know, well, initially, right, so Snapchat was initially just kind of a, um, uh, you know, a platform for, um, you know, you could send messages that would disappear once you saw them. But then once they had stories where you basically put out a public story that that stays for 24 hours. So, like, if I'm just filming, like, little snippets of my life and putting it on there, so that part of it, I expect. I don't think my parents would go on Snapchat for, for news. But, um, you know, once once you're on the platform, once you're using it, um, you know, you can kind of you, discover. You know what the next question will be, right? Like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Masnick's next question will be, Michael, how do I save these videos? Like, right? <laughs> well, you can. Yeah, you can. You can. You can, download you can them. save them. I yeah, you, you can, can save. save them. Oh, yeah. You can save videos on Snapchat. I know it's like people think that you can't, but yeah, that you can save videos on Snapchat. Well, well, well here's the thing, right? Like if, if they're going to go about saving it, why not just make a WhatsApp channel or something and just share it? It's, I mean, it's just a different experience. I mean, I think we're going kind of far off. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. the the path the main on. topic right yeah, I know but uh, so here's here's the thing right in terms of kind of the news thing um, one I understand that kind of Snapchat has this like very big kind of baked in uh, pool of users right mm-hmm. and and that would make sort of the discovery model like a or their sort of how you guys have descri- described it that discovery system very interesting to publishers right because mm-hmm. it's a place where they essentially have users but why wouldn't you know why wouldn't sort of any kind of channel aggregator be in the same position it doesn't seem like there's much very much unique to sort of the snapchat mechanics that makes that the right for for example um, why not just have that in like instagram or in facebook now well right? i mean to some extent right i mean that's why instagram is kind of copying uh, Snapchat features and has tried to buy Snapchat like a hundred times in the last couple of years. Um, I mean, Snapchat has just has a massive audience and just like y- one of the reasons why, I-, I mean, there are a variety of things going on, but I think part of it is that um, because it's sort of, you know, there is, there is text, but the, the core of it is video. And with video, you also have a sort of more traditional style of advertising that you can slip in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of, you know, larger media players saw this as like, this is the next television, right? And so, you know, for all the talk about how much uh, advertising revenue goes to newspapers or digital or whatever, television is still like the dominant player. And so, you know, if Snapchat can be that path by which television ad revenue moves to digital, um, they want to be in on that early. Got so it. I think that's that's mm-hmm. a big part of the reason why... Yeah. So many, so many, you know, uh, big media properties have, have just gone so heavily into into Snapchat. And, but it's also why, like, Facebook has invested so heavily in their video in, in the last year or so. And, like, you know, Facebook Live, you know, what one of the things that it's, you know, it's different than sort of the Snapchat thing. But one of the things that Facebook did was they literally gave millions of dollars to media companies to do Facebook Live. I forget the numbers exactly, but I, I think a couple of properties, I think it was BuzzFeed and CNN, that, like Facebook gave them $3 million each with a promise that they were going to do like 200 videos a month or something crazy like that, which is why you had stupid things like 
BuzzFeed doing a Facebook live video and like smashing a watermelon or something like that. I forget, or like blowing <laughs> up a balloon. You know, it's just sort of, you know, nutty stuff. But like video has definitely become like this big target. And of course, there was this whole other controversy um, where like Facebook was basically misrepresenting how popular all their videos were for the last couple of years. Um, so everyone was like diving into video on Facebook's channel. I'm like, oh, it's working, it's working, it's working. And it turned out that a lot of that was bullshit. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, I think everyone's still sort of trying to figure out what, you know, where the news consumer's going. And then, of course, yeah. there was, there. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of rambling on all different things, but it's kind of interesting. There was just a recent study that basically said for all the talk of like how the millennial generation is so you know, is all into video and mm -hmm. stuff. They actually prefer to read the news um, rather than watch videos. And so I'm kind of... Is, yeah. is that true on average or are they talking about a particular demographic? I, 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 don't, re I don't remember. It was study. No, I think it was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think yeah. as a whole, people don't do that. So it would be very surprising if the millennial cohort... As a whole, cohort, you think people like to read versus video? No, they don't. They no, like he's to watch the videos. Oh, okay. yeah. The exact yeah. opposite. I mean, like That's what even I was from say. our parents' generation, people transitioned over to sort of TV news from yeah. reading the newspaper. And so it would be very surprising to me that if the millennials, as a cohort right. across all kind of socioeconomic groups, were just suddenly, we want to read the news. I mean, it just... I mean, I can't. Maybe, well, I'm, but I'm I'm trying to find this yeah. the study as we talk. Although so I mean, like it, it you know, sense. generationally, you do tend to like to rebel against what your parents did, right? So yeah, but reading <laughs> is never a rebellion. <laughs> so so here's here's I'm going to rebel here, by here, studying. Here. Like all right, hey, li listen here. All right, found I, it. I dug up this study. So it's it's from Pew, which is you know reputable. pretty pretty established and, and reputable. And and so it, it said it was basically uh, a. Uh, how do you what's the exact question I, I, I don't see the exact question so that, that might be an issue but like you know how do you prefer getting to the news reading watching or listening mm -hmm. and the 18 to 29 age group uh, had 42 percent preferred reading the news really 38 38 percent said watching and 19 percent said listening um, maybe and, they mean reading like reading on snapchat like yeah. <laughs> it's i know i mean it's, it's possible yeah. you don't yeah. you don't know I yeah, mean, and supposedly like i mean snapchat is actually what the old kids are using now i don't know what the next generation right. is called well like everyone's using kick is if you're if you're an amazing if you're an american teenager is kick, it kick or kick uh, k-i-k right is okay is, uh, is, yeah, is yeah. the new snapchat if you're yeah. a teenager so well, snapchat's I, for I old people the thing about these kinds of Pew surveys and stuff, since they're self-reported as opposed to some kind of tracking, is that, you know, recently somebody, you know, was asking me, are you a reader or not? Meaning like, you know, a reader of books as opposed uh -huh. to Internet. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally a reader. And I was I had this like conception of myself based on what I was like 10 years ago. Right. Right. It's like, like how many books have you yeah, actually read and, this year? Yeah, I, was, I said, yeah. And then later when I was driving home, I was thinking to myself in my car, like, oh, what books have I read recently? I couldn't name a one. Right. Yeah. Like I, I have all these audio books and that's listening. That's not reading. Yeah. And then I have a few like I have something like 20 books on my Kindle that I've not finished reading. I'm in like various stages of like browsing different chapters. And like I, I can't remember the last time I sat down and um, read a, uh, actually now I suddenly I can remember I, I read a, a fiction book from cover to cover but like in terms of non-fiction yeah. like I a physical book like with Undead Tree no no no, no on uh, okay. Kindle of course but I count that I count that there's <laughs> like, no cover I, to I, go I, from cover to cover but go on well yeah, oh gosh from beginning to end <laughs> that's but, uh, nitpicky <laughs> yeah I know you're so nitpicky I Dennis know. but uh, but 
I get so much like a lot of this like the nonfiction that I would read right is now kind of become these like very small uh, punchy articles on the web that say the same kind of stuff right like Vox or 538 would have like these you know kind of more a little bit more in-depth articles and that's what I would read yeah. and that's it's it's weird because the news that I used to read um, has kind of taken second place to this kind of new style of news that is almost like a semi long form well how should say i don't know novellic article right like where you yeah. kind of have a very large you might have some like media uh, heavier they just, data they, just, they yeah. usually refer to it as long form yeah there you go yeah. but and i mean yeah i mean that's interesting to me right so there's 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 been this saying that i've heard in the past and i don't remember it exactly so i'm paraphrasing it but it was basically like you know, uh, most good books would, you know, be better as a long magazine article. Most long mm-hmm. magazine articles would be better as like a short magazine article. Most short magazine articles would be better as a blog post. Most blog posts would be better as a tweet or something like that. Yeah, you know? I think that's true, probably. <laughs> I Definitely. I mean, yeah. I, one of the things I, you know, nothing against Malcolm Gladwell or anything like that, but I feel like if I... No, if no, I, feel free to trash Malcolm Gladwell. But like, I feel like if I read the back of his book and the first totally. chapter, like yep. you just feel like you... You keep. He might have more anecdotes to back up the yeah, points, no. but he's not really saying anything. He wrote. New, he wrote a whole you know. book exactly that made that that exact point. <laughs> that point. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. And I read the cover. Of it. What was the uh, name of that book? Yeah. Blink. That was the, that was the whole point of that book. Was you should have just read the back cover and you would have been done with this book. Yeah. Uh, well, why did he write a whole book yeah. about it then? Because that's it sells <laughs> and he made millions off of it. Yeah. And well, he knows that. He's a genius. I think that one of the gen- the thing about a good news article is I feel like. Um, it should be dumbed down, but it should make the reader feel really smart. And I think graphs are key to that. And uh, you know, I mean, like expl- like USA Today's uh, Snapchat, like snap uh, oh, snapshot of the world that they used to have. No, they're a little bit too dumb. But like <laughs> like 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 I, I feel like I you know, know. Like, I mean, honestly, most most sites that now sort of rely on these graphs yeah. and charts all the time, I think they're kind of in that same infographics. No, but like I feel like five thirty eight and Vox and stuff like yeah. like try to make you feel uh, like so yeah, smart. Yeah, they try about, to make you feel like you know, like super smart about. I mean, Pretty Vox in particular has been so ridiculous lately. But uh, this is just no, Hirsch. What you've just described uh, is essentially like the BuzzFeed headline. It's something that you can tell. No, but it's deeper than that. You can tell the whole story in one line, and it makes yourself feel feel smart. And you'll post that on your Facebook, and you not actually read the article. That's exactly no, no. But you know, no. No, the five thirty eight has more nuance. I think it's more kind of like it's it's like the. It's like 530 is more kind of like that kind of like very poppy uh, yeah, info, like, but kind of for the data, right. data scientists. And, and that was exactly like, what Vox I mean? was supposed to be, too, yeah. and they still present themselves that way. I think that like 538 actually does a fairly decent job of, of you know, being reasonable um, and, and actually presenting interesting information. Like Vox, just too many times Vox has just done absolutely ridiculous stuff that, that I kind of well, give me an the, example because I do enjoy uh, reading and watching uh, oh gosh like uh, off the top of my head they had one where and I'll I'll dig this out and, and I'd actually thought about writing on it and I, and I didn't but um, where they they like presented some sort of um, oh gosh I'm trying to remember the details because I'm going to mess it up uh, well uh, no no <laughs> here's the one I'll give you because this one really pissed me off and this was just re- recently so they, they posted this ridiculous thing we actually wrote a post debunking it because it was a bunch of garbage nonsense that like um, <laughs> how do you really feel uh, yeah yeah uh, gigabit 
Ethernet, uh, gigabit internet connections mm-hmm. um, were dumb because there's no killer app for them. And that, like, everyone talking about, like, you know, focusing on that. So, so, you know, there should be no gigabit Ethernet because there's – or gigabit uh, internet connections. That's cause, silly because right, you get the it, apps when it gets really Yeah, right. e- exactly. So they're going on. And there's, there's clearly th- stuff right now. Like, yeah, but they were like, there's there's no killer app for them. There's no real use for it. It's a bunch of hype. There's no big deal. So that, that – How just, do they back that up with data just based on what people are they doing? They don't. They don't. They're, they're basically like, well, you know, nobody actually uses it. So they're looking at like mm-hmm. you know, different locations that have it and people, you know, are, they're basically saying like the only like high bandwidth app that anyone uses is Netflix and – you know that, that that only takes like you know you're perfectly fine with like 25 megabits or whatever, and uh, so they did two things. One, they wrote this horrible, stupid, ridiculous article about it, and then we wrote the whole sort of debunker piece on. And it was you know they left out the fact that like a lot of their support for it, which was not data driven, was uh, by this think tank, um, this sort of famously terrible, in my opinion, think tank in D.C. Um, uh, ITIF, I forget what it stands for, Innovation Technology something, whatever. And um, and left out that like those guys are heavily funded by the, the cable industry. Oh, um, and of course, I mean, also leaving out that Vox is heavily funded by Comcast. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I would like to believe that the people writing there aren't thinking about it in terms of that. But then the really nasty thing that they did was a week later, was when Google announced that they were basically stopping new developments of Google Fiber. Mm-hmm. And so Vox took that exact same article. They didn't change the thing. They just changed the headline, updated the date that they published it, and said, here's why Google is dropping Fiber. And I mean, that, that's fine. I mean, what's no, wrong with that? No, it's not. That's oh, bullshit. Come on. It's applicable. No, it's not. No, 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 no. Because they were basically <laughs> implying... They were implying that the reason Google was dropping fiber is because there's no killer app for it and nobody's using it. But they could, they could legitimately is, make no, that argument if no, they believe that. Did that. No, no one thinks that. I mean, that's not that's not the reason why Google's dropping fiber. No, that, dro- they happen Google. to be factually wrong. But but what I'm saying <laughs> is, if they didn't know that, they could they could theorize how, this. How do, okay, it depends how you read the headline. <laughs> this is why Google is doing it. If the, if you think they're making a kind of factual statement, this we know this is the reason Google's stopping it. I, that that was know. definitely the implication of what they were saying. I think it's those kinds of headlines are more along the lines of this is why we think Google is stopping, or this uh, might be a no, reason. No, why. no, no, no. Really? It was not presented that way at all. It was. Oh, it was well, that would be a ridiculous, ridiculous. piece of journey. There, there was another one, and, and I'll dig this up too. But there was another one where they basically. I mean, you're they not got being the, charitable though. The, you you <laughs> have a bone to pick with. No, no, guys. and no. The <laughs> thing is, I I don't because because I know some of the people there, and I actually like them, and one of the guys who actually used to write for us at TechTurd is a big writer at, at Vox and I really like him and I always liked his his sort of thought process and, mm-hmm. and his thinking on things and I was really excited when he, he was like one of the first guys there and so I was like oh okay this is going to be cool and it'll be a good site and, and it's just like time and time again I run into them doing this sort of explainer journal and, and they just got they just got uh, you know th- we're recording this this is this podcast isn't going to go up for a couple of weeks i think so this this will no longer seem timely when we talk <laughs> about it but but here's another thing they totally screwed up just just the other day which is you know uh dennis i'm i'm my condolences for you but your cleveland indians lost the world series <laughs> as you as you well yes. know uh and and one of the tweets that that got you know went super viral just as the the cubs were winning in the seventh game tie game going to extra innings which was crazy was that people found this old tweet that this uh this tampa rays fan had tweeted in 
2014, so two years ago, predicting the 2016 World Series would be Cleveland versus the Cubs. Uh, It will go tie game, extra innings in the seventh game, and then the world will end. Right? And so Mm -hmm. that's, you know, what happened. The world hasn't quite ended yet, but, you know, who knows? There's still time. But, (laughs) but, but, you know, it was crazy. And so Vox wrote this whole post talking about how it was a scam. And now there are scams like that. And, and, um, people have written about this before. It it, it became a big deal during the World Mm -hmm. Cup where like people had created these Twitter feeds where they basically predicted every possible outcome and every score and then they deleted all the other ones and then pointed to the one that they got right. And so Vox just assumed that's what happened with with this guy when it wasn't actually true. He hadn't done that. He had actually just, you know, made this, you know, silly, stupid prediction and kind of forgotten about it. But their point, I think, overall is correct, which is that if you have enough people saying random things, one of them will get it right. No, 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 no. That's not what they said. They said it's, they directly, They accused him specifically of being this kind of fake account? Right. Of, well, of, you know, putting why did they just look things. through his feed to see if it was a normal feed or not? Which it was. Like that—that that was my first reaction when I saw that tweet. I assumed the same thing because you know because it had been a thing during the World Cup. But you go through his feed and you see like he's he's there all the time interacting. You, you know he couldn't have like hidden all of those posts and not had people notice that he was posting every possible you know result two years in the future or whatever. So like you know it seemed pretty obvious and they didn't even bother to do that they they did eventually put up a correction say it didn't meet their standards or whatever but like that kind of thing has happened a lot with fox so anyways we're, we're going like way off base and sort of picking on one particular <laughs> so but but i think there is an interesting point here that kind of t- ties to the general case sure, which sure. is that they places like vox i mean the difference between them and like or old older school newspaper like the, like the New York Times, though they may have a lot of like well researched and kind of sober data driven articles, and I certainly think they do have those. You're not giving them enough credit. They do have those, and Five Thirty Eight also has that sell like you know kind of data driven, but kind of I don't know what the term is, but like uh, uh, articles that have a, a sort of inbuilt virality to them, right? Uh, mm-hmm. a, a shareable a- aspect to them, something that kind of really stands out, right? Um, both of those sites kind of write those kinds of articles that are smart articles and the New York Times doesn't really seem to do that they kind of write like more traditional articles uh, well they might I mean, be changing but, but, but they, they might be they, changing. they've definitely changed I mean like in response mm-hmm. to Vox certainly mm-hmm. like I think the New York Times is really set up like they have this thing like upshot and, and they've really tried to sort of get into that space as well but you're right that they have sort of a more yeah. you know their focus you, okay but let, let me let me go a little further afield if you think the New York Times is really innovating then um, like you go and you look at the Economist you could never yeah. imagine the Economist doing an article about some guy's tweet no matter how crazy that tweet was right they wouldn't they just not their style right and there's that one thing about sort of the 538 and um vox i find is that i my fuse my newsfeed people used to joke in the past was like 35 percent economist articles right like i would always read the whole economist Mm -hmm. cover to cover and then i would post like at least every week one or two of them maybe more and now I've just found that like maybe I'll post one Economist article a month, but like mostly I'm posting 538 and Vox stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because um, psychologically, like in terms of the news, if you don't like at the end of the day, you're looking for eyeballs to sell advertising, right? Like unless you you're an old news organization with some kind of higher mission that you feel organizationally you have, right? Like most of these places are businesses. And if, if they're businesses, they're trying to sell eyeballs, right? And um, 
if, if that's the case, then the type of um, the type of article that they make uh, or story that they make, it, it seems to me that no matter how smart the journalist, I feel like the editors coach them or must be coaching them to make a very particular type of story, right? I mean, and, and I think I, that the, I, the side product I, of that is some of these crazy things that you're complaining about. Um, but but even yeah, without I, that, I, even I even a, yeah. a, an accurate, well-researched article is still kind of very I don't know what like bubblegummy in a sense, right? Like it's very um, they're just it's kind of like news news 2.0 ish. I don't know if that's the right term or <laughs> news 5.0 ish or you know what I mean? It's like a very there's a, there's a certain flavor to these articles. Like I, I can't explain it, but they you're reading it and they do, like I was saying before in the very beginning, they kind of designed to make you feel smart and you will be informed more informed about I mean this is some, this is news in the age of AB testing basically. They're Yeah, exactly. That's right. I think he nailed it. I think it's right. I think they've been AB testing yeah. the, these yeah. are, the well, stuff. But they're, but they're that's optimizing like, for sharing or, you know, price shares. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, well that's definitely the way BuzzFeed basically positions themselves, yeah, right? I they'll, mean, they'll run they multiple headlines and But the unfortunate thing I wanted to come to is that the unfortunate thing is the most viral story is not necessarily the most critical story oh, of course. Yeah, for, for it's right and true. it's and it's it's just like even even for the smart stuff right like i think the 538 stuff is very smart and i do think that like but it's nuanced the good stuff is nuanced and that's really difficult Ezra Klein yeah, yeah right. Ezra Klein from Vox had done this video a while back where he was talking he had, it was just him standing uh, or sitting and talking to the camera and saying like you know we should keep in mind that like you know Donald Trump is kind of normalizing some really abnormal political behavior, right? In terms of like what he says and how he treats institutions and kind of his negation of norms. And like he had this video, right? And it, and it seemed like and I was watching that. And I was like, oh, this is like a really good uh, video to share. And if you really if you think about his video from sort of a point of view of like what it accomplishes it, it probably is pretty good in terms of it being shared a lot but i was thinking about the the way that video would be shared it would probably be shared by a bunch of hillary supporters right and it's probably not going to show up in a trump supporters feed just because of the way and, it, and i should say we're recording this before the election that will be posted well yeah. after the election but okay go ahead yeah but so what i was going to say is like if it was a more traditional article, like something from The Economist, I feel like mm -hmm. that makes the same points. I feel like that actually would have a chance of showing up on some Trump supporters feed. And I, there were articles, by the way, by, by The Economist that essentially say the same thing. But first, they're not in video form. Second, they're kind of more um, articly as opposed to this kind of very having this virality to it, mm -hmm. as Dennis said this AB testing this to it, right? Like, I feel like... Well, I mean, if, if you... Um, uh, Ezra Klein, actually, he did an interview with um, uh, Tyler Cohen um, uh, not too long ago, a few months ago, and they actually talked a lot about video and sort of Vox's video strategy. It's actually really interesting in terms of, like, they did kind of the A-B testing thing again where they sort of worked and worked and worked to figure out kind of what videos people share on Facebook mm -hmm. and it's very very deliberately focused on Facebook yeah. um, and you know they don't you know they get video views on YouTube too but like Facebook is the target and it's it's all about yeah just kind of optimizing what people are going to share and, and I don't want to accuse Ezra Klein of, of th that this particular video that he did had any anything other than the best intentions in terms of kind of like educating people or like you know 
showing them the dangers of sort of demagoguery and that kind of stuff like I'm, I'm sure that that was the main focus of the video but it, it definitely kind of the way the graphics were and everything else it seemed like very much like the kind of video that was kind of preaching to the choir right like it, but that's it, I mean that's Vox again like seriously like if you look at Vox it's it's a very much preaching to the choir site and and that's fine I mean you know people will say the same thing about Tector Tector is very much a preaching to the choir site too I'm not going to deny that either but like you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Well, don't you think there's a value though? Like if you, if you're, if you're acknowledging that Tectorg is here, we go really deep uh, audience where Hirsch questions Mike Masnick's <laughs> editorial policy. But, but if you're really trying to sort of convince people on the other side of that, or if you even see that, that, that is a legitimate aim of the news, right? Sure. Like that you should change opinion. It might not be, it might not be, but let's, my assumption is that it should be that the point of writing an article that you think is true is to sway someone's point of view. Sure. And, and we're trying to sway people's viewpoints. Absolutely. But so then you have to take the, the strategy holistically and think about not only sort of the content, but also the headline, the way you dive into the article, the way it will show up in social feeds. You know what I mean? Like sort of the whole tone of your entire newspaper over time has to be a little bit more balanced for lack of See, better I, I, word. But right? I don't, I mean, I don't think that's true. Like, I mean, like the, the sort of, you know, and I, it's, I mean, it's stranger for the, you know, it's, this is, might not apply so much for tech, tech dirt, because in your case, your viewpoint is very much about less about a political stance so much mm -hmm. as like a stance about uh, information, like free information. Sure. And, you know, so that's kind of Tech Dirt's brand. And I'm trying to think of who the audience would be that would just be so turned up that they wouldn't read a Tech Dirt article. And I'm thinking it would be a pretty small and <laughs> probably audience yeah. would probably be like people who work in the recording industry or something like that would say think yeah, Right. And so see either, a tech either that or yeah. they, they sort of hate read it. Right. But yeah. yeah. Um, and in that case, like, you know, it's probably not that much of a difference. But there's definitely articles that come out um, from, you know, both left and the right, where I look at the, the domain or the first two seconds of the video mm -hmm. and the tone of it. I already know, like I've formulated an opinion in my head unconsciously that most of this is going to be, be skewed in this way and going to be kind of BS. Right. Sure. And and I actually I don't feel that way about an economist video although maybe i should and i'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah oh, maybe i was gonna I say i think but what is their stance like i don't i don't find them falling consistently on either the left or well, the right. well that's because you're used to the american left or right right i mean if you look at the sort of european left and right and and so or like you know what would be considered you know uh liberal uh, values in Europe, which is very different than liberal values in America, The Economist is very clearly a European liberal publication. Which they're is, liberal? Yeah. I, again, economically, it, it, they're very conservative. No, no. Please. In the European sense, which is generally more like libertarian. Mm -hmm. So when you say European liberal, you 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 mean kind of a, a conservative libertarian. I know it's confusing. They are not libertarians, though. They're constantly asking for various kinds of smart regulation to the extent that like... I didn't say they're completely. I'm just saying... I'm saying it's what it, their their position is what is generally considered European liberal, which is a libertarian <laughs> bent, but recognizing regulation. Well, that seems rather balanced now, doesn't it? But but that's that's because you agree with that position, and therefore to you it's balanced. But they have a take, yeah. and it's a very clear take, and and lots of publications have a point of view. Or but a it's take not and, even and ideal. Economist has that. But look, Masnick, if they take a very pragmatic <laughs> view at, of things, that's not ideological, right? Like so, it's almost they don't, like it's not necessarily. Not you, what you consider pragmatic? Well, let me let me put 
there are lots of people who disagree with if you, you start that. if you start reading the beginning of an economist article can you predict what they will say is their policy uh preference by the end of the article like like i don't think you can <laughs> say that with certainty the way you can with some other publications right where you start off sure, the article sure, and you're like i already sure. know what they're going to say the end is going to be right like maybe maybe you can maybe i'm just i mean i've been reading the economist so long now probably since my teenage years so uh, I may have sort of internalized some of their kind of editorial and, and they've, con- they've kind of converted me. But um, yeah, I, there's a, there, there, okay, so let's drop The Economist for a second. But even, even with sort of with, with, uh, with places like The New York Times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think The New York Times used to get this, do this better than they are now, I think, but, but to have a range of different writers so that when you go in, you don't quite know what the conclusion is going to be. Unless, See, unless now there, you're... There, there, again, there are people who would argue that the New York Times is exceptionally biased. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but, but there are people who argue that very, very strongly and, and, and like scream about it. I mean, on tech No, no, we, I don't we, disagree. When we, when we link to the yeah. New York Times, we get people yelling at us for yeah. linking to such a trash, you know, leftist paper. <laughs> No, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that those people, you know, that the characterization that the New York Times today is a very leftist paper is wrong. I'm just saying that has, has it always been maybe maybe a, once again, maybe I just misremember <laughs> my youth. But I, I remember reading articles that, that were had a decidedly sort of more conservative. Um, well, no, I mean, they always like 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 lots of publications. Right. I mean, they sort of try and, you know, and. <sighs> You know, they try and do everything, right? So, so as more people accuse them of being leftist, they sort of try and you know tip the scale in the other direction, and they hire you know a conservative columnist. Well, but, but again, you have the differences between like the op-ed pages and the columnist versus the reporting, and you know people don't even you know most the average news consumer has no idea what the difference between any of those things are: editorial, columnist, op-ed, or or news reporting. They all think it's the same thing, and I think that certainly contributes to kind of kind of the mess. But you know, I, I don't know. I mean. Well, whatever. We're going to go round and round on this. And, and I, what, I, what I do think is interesting out of all this, and I'm going to sort of bring this around to a close, yeah. hopefully. Uh, <laughs> what, what I think is interesting out of all this is the fact that, you know, I think fewer and fewer people are sort of picking their news sources directly and kind of sticking with them. And then for, for whatever the discussion that we just had about understanding the biases of different publications, um, you know, I think that people are finding their news through filters mm-hmm. without necessarily recognizing the bias going into any particular publication. Yeah. And that could potentially create some And that's dangerous. Issues. People, people yeah. don't realize that the filters that they're, they're maybe unbeknownst to them, they're choosing are filtering the news for them. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I wonder about that. And of course, you know, I'm biased here too, right? I mean, like, you know, because of all this and the way that people consume news, yeah. like, you know, less people go directly to tech dirt. And so, you know, that that's an issue for me. And then, like, you know, we get pushed yeah. to do do the kind of, you know, sketchy A-B testing yeah. <laughs> that we were talking about yeah. to try and drive more readers to, to articles that, you know, I, w- which, you know, we don't we don't really do that kind of stuff, um, though we sometimes feel like we need to. And so I kind of wonder about kind of where where that takes us as news consumers. Yeah, because, um, you know, historically. 
Yeah. I, I always thought it was a good idea. And like this idea that like the news finds you, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's awesome. That's a better way of doing things. But but I'm beginning to Yeah, I mean, on, on, one, on one hand, it means that everyone's Facebook feed looks very different than everyone else's, right? Mm-hmm. It's very jarring. But at the same time, maybe that's really bad if my, if, if, only, if the information that I'm looking at is only the stuff that I find amenable then that's kind of dangerous, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, that's that's the sort of like filter bubble yeah. or echo chamber argument. And and even that, that doesn't feel quite right to me either. And like, I get that and maybe that's true. Yeah. Um, and and maybe there's something to that. But I, you know, I actually think that like, I'm, uh, I, don't I don't know, know. Maybe, maybe it is true. Maybe look at my, my Twitter feed would look absolutely foreign to you. So Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But that, that doesn't mean that like, you know, are you never exposed to views that you disagree with? Um, uh, I don't know. Not never, but it's difficult finding them. How's that? Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I see, I see lots of views that I disagree with, but I think, I think some of it is just because <laughs> like, of like hate linking <laughs> 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 sort of the nature of Twitter. Like, Hey, yeah. everyone, let's mock this. Um, it's, but, it's hard. I think it's, I think it's easy to find views that you disagree with. Um, it's hard to find in sort of, uh, well-researched, nuanced, kind of like thoughtful, yeah. opposing views. That, and that's that's. I think that's the valid point. That that you know what we do find is basically the extremes of look how stupid this is or look how awesome mm-hmm. this is, and we don't get the like carefully thought out, well-researched, you know, article that goes through the details um, and and that is that's valuable. Like you know, and in fact, like even when we do come across those people sort of freak out and now you know again we're recording this pre-election when everyone is still insane um hopefully some of this will change post-election <laughs> people will start to go back to slightly normal things but like i i recently tweeted a, a link to a really sort of thoughtful careful um analysis by um julian sanchez who works at the cato institute looking at the legal issues related to like hillary clinton's email server which is just like you know that's like a third rail topic that people go mm-hmm. you know absolutely batshit insane about um and you know julian is at the cato institute which is you know libertarian libertarian you know conservative not you know not a bastion of of hillary clinton supporters and i you know i tweeted this and he just he basically just went through it from you know his point of view which is he follows you know national security issues and he understands the law around like the espionage act which is what they're focusing on and just went through this and like I was getting all of these angry tweets about like, you know, oh, that's, you know, a bunch of biased, you know, bullshit liberal, you know, whatever. And it's you, like, should, you should flag <laughs> those people and make a note next to all their names and be like, okay, here's the idiots, right? Like <laughs> yeah, they have yes. no context. They don't understand anything. Like, do they even know who this guy is or what Cato is? I mean, yeah. somebody recently was uh, talking about, what's his name? Um, is his name David Frum? Uh, yeah, yeah. The conservative guy. He yeah. he wrote this. He wrote this article, and uh, I think I posted it. And somebody was like, "What?" A, he oh, called him a shillery hack. I'm like, <laughs> Dude, seriously? Like, do you know who this guy is? Like, yeah. I mean, it's just they just don't want to hear anything bad about. Yeah. Well, Trump, that's again, that's that's sort of election season nuttiness. Yeah. But it, I think it's true. I mean, I think it, you know, and and it's something that now. I don't know, maybe I'm because of this, I'm going to think a little bit more about like, you know, we are definitely, you know, we do try and convince people. And sometimes it feels like, you know, how, how is the best way to convince people? And is it to, um, I, I, and here's my suggestion. You yeah. should have a 
point counterpoint style. Uh, like just have somebody else visit we've, and, and we've argue tried, that point. We've tried that, and I, I don't think those work as well as as people think they do. And uh, I'm not going to go into why because because we're way over time, and I gotta I gotta go. <laughs> but <laughs> but, for the next, for the but next episode. for for maybe a future episode, we can discuss why why point counterpoint I think is a. Is, is an overblown concept and, and not one that's that's particularly effective. But anyways, do you guys have any final thoughts on this? I, I, I think, you know, I think yeah. it's interesting the way the news business is changing and, and what it means for the way people actually, yeah. you know, understand things. And I, I, I don't know, you know, how to make it better, but I'm thinking about it. Point, counterpoint, that's how you make it better. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make it worse. That's just All right, man. All right. Well, thanks, guys, and thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with uh, something else. So, bye, guys. <laughs>